0: Hey, Phil. Hey, Laurie. How you going, man? Yes, all right. You're very beardy today. You're very beardy today. Is that I what know. you wanted me to say? Not particularly, but it did occur to me. I feel like that's a little bit of a, a vocal trap you've just laid for me, and I've fallen right into it. I've lost my razor, and it gets beardier and beardier every day. I'm a bit worried about it, because now it's on my official publicity <laughs> photo on the BBC. You know well. what I've
1: just realised? Some listeners will never have seen a picture of us. and I know. We've just
0: destroyed their image. By saying we both, both bearded. Got beards. <laughs> but you know, this is an unusual look for me, so you know You're very beardy. I know, too beardy It's almost to the floor. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Listeners, welcome to season two, episode forty six of Super Baby Bros in Movie Lands. Very glad to have you along. We've got Paddington Two and Only the Brave review for you on this episode, along with a couple of what we've been watchings.
1: Yep, I'm gonna be reviewing Paper Towns, Cara Delavine's sort of I think
0: it was her first screen debut. Was it? I believe so. Okay, interesting. And I am going to review The Legend of 1900, which a particular listener has been asking us to cover for a long time. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll identify the listener later, but I hope you're excited about that. We're also going to be doing a little bit of movie news. Can you guess what it's going to be about? Oh, I know. We'll come on to that later as well. And listeners, hope you're enjoying Wednesday. Thank you very much. Uh, I think we'll come on to emails and tweets towards the end of the show. So if you've been in touch, look out for your thoughts there. But we certainly did have one listener get in touch and say, Yay, Wednesdays are back. Are you glad to be out on Wednesdays? It means we have to record on Monday nights. Yes, but it also means you've got the
1: weekend to go see stuff.
0: Yeah, that's true. I'm quite glad about it, because it means we're not in competition with all the other filmy things. And, you know, very kind listener who I know personally said to me, it was like a little lift in the middle of their week. Imagine that. What, what's the current thing is hump day. That's what they call it. The hump day. Who calls it that? America. Do they really? Yeah, hump and day. us, the world. <laughs> I don't like hump day. That's As no in, it's like the
1: middle of the week, like the middle of the working week. So it's, oh, hump day. Like, oh, once we're over, all this, we're over the hump. All downhill from here. Yeah, exactly. Mm.
0: Yeah, still don't like it, actually. There you are. Uh, okay, listeners, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at superbailybros at gmail.com or tweet us at superbailybros. And we'll do our best to read those and get back in touch with you.
1: Yeah, do send in your plus ones and minus ones. This is a little competition Laurie and I have going on. You send in your... Positives or negatives on what, you, whether or not you agree with us And we've got a little chart going on I fear today I'm going to get a lot of minuses Oh really?
2: Yeah
0: You sort of have given yourself away there Phil Because I know which films you've seen Have I? Mm-hmm well, mm-hmm. we'll, well, don't give it away mm-hmm. for the listeners. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, I'll fight you. Uh, listeners, you can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Bros, if you'd like to support us financially from as little as, I don't know, $2 or something, although they charge fees on top, so I think it works out, as something like $5 a cup a of coffee. That's right. So it's more like a couple, a couple of cups of coffee a month. If you like what we're doing, every little helps, and we really greatly value our Patreon sponsors. Thank you very much. I think that's all the biz, is it? I think so. Do you have a thought for the episode, Phil? Uh, so you've heard of a dry sense of humour? I have. Have you ever heard of a wet sense of humour? <laughs> that is a good question. That's Officially, a good I have to give credit to Ellie for that. That's she a really, came up with that. Well done, Ellie. Uh, wow, I'm really thinking what is about a wet that, sense because, of humor, because I'm already I think. thinking about the etymology of a dry sense of humour. Is that sort of where you uh, elicit a dry chuckle? You know, <laughs> like that. Mm, or like
1: your lips go closed because it's a little bit <laughs> hmm,
0: dry. Hmm. Whereas wet, I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. I was going to say, I don't want to do a wet laugh. Uh, unless it's wet and <laughs> drippy and sentimental, as opposed to dry, which is like caustic and very bitter and cold and sharp. Maybe that's sharp, more like what it is. Because dry is, is quite sarcastic.
1: So wet is like Chuckle Brothers.
0: Mm. Wet and a dry wine? Any any links there? I'm trying to think a of more. Sweet They do wet coffees. Have you come across that? It's wet le- coffee. I know it's my least favorite thing. I, what is that? I discovered Isn't pork coffee wet? No, no, no. So I think if you get it with milk, then it's a wet one. It's, it's a wet espresso. I think I'm, I'm unless I'm completely inventing this. Which I it feel might like be. some Portuguese gal or guy has hoodwinked you. Well, i happy to be hoodwinked. It was at multiple places, so I don't, I don't think so. The whole nation of Portugal <laughs> conspire against you. It's, possi- it's a possibility. Let's not rule it out. Hey, well done, Phil. That's a nice thought for the episode. I'm still thinking about it. Right. Underground, overground, wumbling free. The Wombles. Hold on. Do you actually know the theme tune to Paddington or not? <laughs> no. Is there? Because there used to be a Paddington. Th- oh, Paddington. Okay, okay, keep going. What You're on you it. like some jam. No!
1: This is amazing. I'd Improv. like some marmalade. Oh my, for my dose In case I get into the house.
0: <laughs> Listeners, I know you can't see I'm it, but to... <laughs> this is what genius looks like, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's stunning stuff, man. We should actually find out what the real theme tune to the original cartoon was. Hey! Paddington is back after 2014's initial Paddington film, where the bear took a CGI turn in the film helmed by Paul King and I, th- I think co-written by Simon Farnaby, the same two guys who have put Paddington 2 back on screens this winter. Phil, I can't tell about what you—you you know your expression, because you gave us a clue about people wanting to give you minus ones, and now you're smiling while I'm talking. I'm nervous that you're going to say uh, mean things about a lovable bear in a duffel coat.
1: Uh, potentially, yeah.
0: Uh-oh. Laurie, why don't you give the
1: plot and we'll get into the trailer and then we'll get into the nitty gritty. Mm,
0: Well, listeners to BBC Radio Oxford will already know exactly how I feel about this film. So let that moderate Phil's apparent negativity at this juncture. Uh, Yes, so in the last film, Paddington arrived at this amazingly whimsical London with the Brown family. They find him at Paddington Station and he ends up becoming a key part of their community. And this film sees him, you know, an essential part of that community. He's stopping a forgetful doctor, I think it is, from leaving the house without his keys. He's giving someone who cycles past his house every morning coffee so that she's in a good mood she, he's just obviously a massive part of everyone's life and I Loved, yeah and everything seems to be in complete harmony everything's in sync the only thing that paddington's sad about is that his aunt lucy is stuck back in peru i think it is and she's never seen london she had always wanted to and instead they made it possible for paddington to get over there rather than themselves so he wants to buy her something that's going to help sort of right that wrong. And he comes across this amazing, perhaps one of a kind pop-up book that has all the sort of landmarks of London beautifully represented in a cardboard pop-up style. He really wants to buy it and send it to her. The only thing is in this antique shop where he's found it, which is owned by a very sort of eccentric Jim Broadbent character, it's going to cost him a thousand pounds and bears do not have a lot of money in their duffel coat pockets so it would seem so Paddington has to get a job to try and earn some cash to get the pop-up book to send it to aunt Lucy and then everything will be in balance again but before he can do it the book is stolen right from underneath his very berry nose by a mystery thief so he and the Browns are going to have to track down the thief to identify and bring him to justice so that the pop-up book can be given to Lucy that's all I kind of want to say and then we'll play the trailer happy phil
1: Yes. Should we give a run? Actually, should we give a rundown of who is in the film beforehand?
0: Uh sure. Do it.
1: So you've got Hugh Bonneville as Mr. Brown. You've got Sally Hawkins as Mrs. Brown. Mm-hmm. You've got
0: uh, Julie Waters. Is it? She is the older Mrs. Ms. Bird. Bird. The, that's right. Yes. The butleress. What's Something the like that. Butler? I think they're doing everything they can not to call her a servant. <laughs> so she's in there as well. You've got basically who's
1: who of who is British in this There's film. There's
0: Peter Capaldi. There, Simon Farnaby's in it. Uh, Hugh Grant, of course. Turned up. Yep, and Ben Whishaw is the bear Ben Whishaw, Mr. UK 2009 Although he sort of dropped off the radar, hasn't he? I was expecting to see the Union Jack, you know, done in his face at some point <laughs> Do you Does this make sense to anyone anymore? Yeah Alright, okay, let's have the trailer
2: Mr. Gruber Oh, what's this? Ah, oh. <laughs> This is London It's wonderful Aunt Lucy always dreamed of coming to London If she saw this, it would be like she were finally here
1: Aunt Lucy!
2: Oh, Paddington. This is perfect.
0: I've had a brilliant idea. I'm going to get a job and buy that book for Aunt Lucy's birthday. Uh, Hello?
2: Window cleaner? Ow.
0: Are you quite sure you're ready for the workplace,
2: Paddington?
1: It's Phoenix Buchanan. Dad's celebrity client.
2: I suppose you know who I am. Oh, yes. You're a very famous actor. VIP. Celebrity. <laughs> or used to be. Now you do dog food commercials. <laughs> this pop-up book, where on earth did you find it?
0: Mr Gruber's antique shop.
2: Stop! Free! <laughs> <laughs> Hold it right there. Oh, but I'm not the thief. Mysterious things have been happening all over town. I may look like a hardened criminal, but I'm innocent. We're going to need a foolproof plan.
0: If anyone can recognize a criminal, it's
2: us. He's a master of disguise. Paddington wouldn't
0: hesitate if any of us needed help. He looks for the good in all of us.
2: Marmalade? Oh! Take a seat.
0: There we go. Very cutesy, very sort of lovable. Uh, I want to say, listeners, if you haven't seen that trailer online and you are certain you want to see this film, I'd try and avoid it because it kind of has a lot of the really good moments in it. And it's certainly much better to see them revealed the way the film chooses to reveal them. I hadn't seen the trailer before I watched it. And, uh, you know, having seen the trailer now, I think, yeah, that would be a mistake. Laurie, how about you start off with something you really loved? I loved almost everything in this film. Listeners, I, I, th- think it's brilliant. I I'm not at all put off by the things I expected to be put off by because I wasn't a huge fan of the first Paddington. I thought it was straddling an uneasy line between whimsy and sort of cringy cheesiness and a sort of a London that is so fairy tale that it almost is annoying and offensive knowing the reality of life in the UK. All those kind of things I wasn't really expecting to like, but I think uh, for the sequel here they've more finely tuned that balance and it is far superior to the original i think this is a london and this is a uk that although incredibly sort of lovey-dovey and wonderful actually everyone will recognize to a certain extent i think it does portray a really wonderful sense of community and generosity and open-heartedness that will mean people don't begrudge the browns their five billion pound (laughs) house in central london that would be absolutely impossible to afford with the jobs that the parents have i think it just is really charming and wonderful. I also think the performances are great. I never really rated Ben Whishaw as Paddington, but he didn't bother me in this film. Uh, I thought Hugh Bonneville... All Everyone was kind of really setting the right tone in each scene i expected at least one performer to give an offbeat or to do something that made it feel cringy again but actually no i I thought every scene was crafted more or less to perfection phil i mean you're looking at me disbelievingly but that is honestly how i felt
1: well it's interesting that you mentioned the fact that you didn't like the first one and then you've watched this one and actually lots of things that bothered you about the first one seem to be uh, tuned out yeah and you've managed to access it and kind of see what the magic is for me, I haven't seen Paddington, the first one. Uh, so this was my first experience of all of those things you mentioned. Right. And what's interesting is it seems like you've almost been inoculated to the things that I despised about this film. I had a
0: vaccine and it was called Paddington 1, you mean?
1: Yeah, and you finally built up the antibodies so you can enjoy what's there. Nice,
0: nice metaphor. I like it. But for me...
1: All the things that you mentioned just there really stood out to me. I didn't like the tweeness of the world at all. I didn't really like Paddington as a character. I thought he was annoying and frustrating and so oblivious. I don't find that charming at all. Interesting. I do not find I mean, that charming a bear as from a trait. have been in the to, country
0: for like a year. Some people
1: love it. The whole, oh, I've just sort of, oh, do this. Oh, I'm a bit fuddly. And oh, it somehow managed to magically work out the end. I just, I just do not like that as a character trait. I find it irritating and frustrating. And I want there to be some comeuppance to the silliness. Maybe it's just the
0: teacher of me or something. But this whole film is nothing but comeuppance to Paddington because he continually pays the price of mistakes that come about because of his naivety. No, though. no, no, he doesn't, though. No, I he does. Think he, he gets does. thrown in prison. Spoiler.
1: <laughs> but he seems so, again, to use uh, uh, the metaphor, he seems inoculated to the things that are happening to him. He doesn't seem affected at all. He's constantly doing things that would make the situation worse for himself, and yet somehow he triumphs in the end, though none of the action he's done sense. But that's the entire sense.
0: point of the film, man. I
1: know, and I can't get on board with it. I don't want to get on board with that sort of film. It, it For some reason, it jars with me, and this is why I know I'm going to get loads of minus ones, because I must be well, in the minority. Well, you're getting one from me already. I think, you're, I
0: think you're not allowing yourself to be... I'm just of, bitter and dark inside. I don't think you're bitter or dark, Phil. As you well know, normally I would take that title <laughs> from you, but I, I, I would recommend seeing the first one. I wish you'd actually watched it first, and listeners, maybe I should say that right now. If you're going to see Paddington 2, but you haven't seen the first one you should if even if just to prevent against the experience that Phil's well it's having.
1: what's interesting is that I've been meaning to see it for a long long time I've got it on my TiVo box ready to watch I just haven't managed to get around to watching it for whatever reason mm. it's always been a little bit of a, a barrier there it's very much a kids movie and I feel that that will work brilliantly for young children but what was really confusing me is the screening that I was in there were adults howling with laughter at yeah. the most bland things were they seen. parents I don't know. They seem to be with very big children. That's what I will say, if that is the
0: case. That's very rude. No, as in in they were with adult adults. Let me clarify, I wasn't making some (laughs) mean comment about a child. I I think, uh, especially if you are a parent, I think your sense of humour does change over time because... I think well, you the, the learn to tolerate the world, rubbish. It was not, not. I wouldn't put it like that. But there is a sense that you do, you more easily laugh at things. That's been my experience so far, and I'm only two years in. Right, so I wouldn't surprise me at all. I think people's sense of humor is quite different. I don't think any of it is boring humor. I don't think any of it is like leaden humor that they try really hard and it doesn't work. I think everything about it does work. It just might not be your style. Is that so fair? So that
1: is fair. And I, I take that on the chin and thats I hold my hands up. I, a part of me is saying, I don't get it. I hold my hands up. Mm-hmm. I, I might be in the... I, well, I am in the minority, I'm sure. I'm sure loads of people go see this and love it. But for me, it didn't connect. But I do have some issues with the film... In general, can I hit you with but my can top I say three three some, positives? Before can I you say some that? positives? All oh, right, yeah, that's what I would like that. to do. Because so I do really it. liked Hugh Grant in it. I thought he was brilliant as he's this. He's my number one. Yeah. As this uh, smarmy, silly actor who is so in love with
0: himself and his uh, brilliant craft. This that is that Phoenix Buchanan, listeners, and he sort of ends up opposed to Paddington in a variety of ways, yeah.
1: I, I feel like he is the star of the show, he's the most entertaining part of the film. And in some ways, I think he gets more screen time than Paddington.
0: Yeah, no, he really lifts the production. And I think they knew that they had something pretty special with him on it. Didn't you think he looked quite spectacular as well? For as outlandish as his outfits are, I think they work pretty well. Yeah, he looks He's stylish. Wearing, like a light blue gilet, indoor it, gilet. I thought they great. What was interesting
1: about him is it made me think he would do a better uh, Gildroy Lockhart than Kenneth Branagh would. They might have asked him, you know. You never know. You never know. But I thought he was a real highlight. There were a couple of times where I laughed, genuinely laughed. Good. And I thought it was funny. How, how generous of w- you? I, that, <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. But going. I think that's notable. There's one particular oh, so gag notable. when, which I, I, I think I can say without spoiling, uh, Paddington is trying to wash win- windows and he falls down and he's covered in suds and he stood in front of a window in front of one of his patrons. Oh, yeah. And he does sort of a wiggle against that's the funny. mirror.
0: That's funny. That's good. hearted stuff, isn't it?
1: Yes. But this kind of leads me on to generally one of my criticisms of the film.
0: All right, you you do that, but then let me hit you with my other two positives and I'll see how you can bring them down, if indeed you can. My large issue is that a
1: lot of the film centres around slapstick humour, I would say. Yes. Random japes and scrapes and accidental befuddlery. But he's a CGI bear and mm. everything he's doing is CGI. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I've been on the record in the past that I have an issue with that as a, as a general rule of thumb. I don't think you can do slapstick humour if you are animated. Either everything needs to be animated or none of it. And I think the whole time I, I felt like it wasn't real. And so therefore I didn't really find it funny when he was falling over. You can't pratfall if you're not real.
0: I'll tell you what, Phil, I will agree with you. The only thing that really risked becoming a negative for me was the CGI, which is by no means bad. It's pretty top level stuff, but I didn't really like it kind of for the reasons you're talking about. They're a little bit overambitious with what they get Paddington to do with the execution that they have for him. But it was so I didn't really like the barbershop scene very much for that reason. Uh, because I just thought... Especially Ben Wishaw, I'm not sure he's the right man to do that. He doesn't have—I don't think—he has that dynamic range to convince me that he is doing the things that the bear is doing. He's and that would be flat. my
1: my second major criticism. Can I, just
0: let me finish there. But what was interesting for me was that even though I went to a press screening, Phil, it was filled with families. The children were absolutely howling with laughter at things like Paddington's hair going static when he touched the electric ball, and when he turns on the razor and he starts jittering around everywhere to the point where I chuckled as well because I recognised this is a funny thing to do. It's a thing funny thing to script for the bear it's a funny thing to put on screen people are responding to it i think you and i are maybe just seeing the cgi a little bit too clearly perhaps
1: yeah i think ultimately i didn't really connect with paddington as a character and, and is i think ben wishaw ben Whishaw is at fault there i don't think his voice fits i think it's so unbelievably twee and so it's a bit what's so sincere yeah exactly and he seems it seems like he's a ghostly narrator not somebody who's voiced voicing in the scene Paddington never feels like he's part of the scene I always felt like every actor is talking to an imaginary thing and then they've managed to cobble it together I can see the stitching and I didn't like that I found that really irritating because if the whole franchise is around a particular character you really need to make that character feel embedded and I felt like it was almost like a storybook I think this film that's probably why
0: they did it the way they did it they made everything a bit storybook around him
1: but then I feel like the whole film would be better if it was a 20 minute episode rather than a feature film i, I mm. kind of lost patience with it in, overall
0: i disagree okay well let me give you my final two points because we're going to run long on this again we always did we've done like, the last three weeks we've both seen the same film and they always run long don't they I wonder why we've got a lot to say it's, it would seem that way i hope it's a lot to listen to in a good way uh did you not think the writing was quite impressive even if you didn't think that the humor was right up your street I, it's one of the few films where i've really noticed a screenplay that is form is in really, really impressive. Like all the setups have a payoff. Even setups you don't realise are set-offs are delivered upon. There's no wasted time. There's no wasted space. Everything is very tight. And even the dialogue is quite efficient in terms of exposition and character and jokes. And they achieve a lot. I I just thought it was really tightly edited. And props go to Simon Farnaby, who was the co-writer for, um, what's it called, Mindhorn, which I really didn't like, although he was the best thing in it. So, you know, yeah. It's funny that you say that because Did you not like his policeman as well? I thought that was funny. In St. Paul's. Yeah, he was all right. (laughs) What's funny,
1: though, is I remember you saying, I think it was for... Christmas office Christmas party. Yes, you raised that same thing as a criticism because you uh, you said that office parties first half everything is just basically setting oh, set up for gags later on, setting up to then think. And I felt massively with Paddington that was the same. Oh, thing Oh no,
0: I don't think so because I, I thought it was much better woven into the film this time around because there were setups. Like I said, I didn't even realize were setups. I thought they were just painting the surroundings of Paddington but in the end they worked out a way to make it very very neat
1: maybe it's because you mentioned to me before I saw the film oh no. oh there's some really nice scripting it's oh, really well structured no. and so when I went in I saw all these things that didn't fit in with the story at all mm. and I thought well obviously they're going to be a payoff well, and so to... when the boy's mentioning a steam train I wonder what's going to come up in the second half
0: but I didn't th- I honestly didn't think that to begin with um, so maybe I have ruined it I'm sorry I thought it really contributed to this cosy sense if of give your minus almost... one to Laurie instead, <laughs> That's then it's all his fault I didn't realise that would make it worse for you and my, my final thing that I really thought was great and I, I don't see how you can disagree with me on this one is Paul King's direction yeah the direction is solid there's a couple of
1: overly swirly it's not shots it's solid
0: man it's great it's it's character it's creativity I thought it was
1: stunning I think this film owes a massive debt though to Wes Anderson
0: but you think and yeah okay say what you're gonna say
1: The way that Paddington Bear does his uh, hairdressing is very much like Fantastic Mr. Fox with that uh, stop motion animation. I think they almost intentionally did the CGI to have that feel. And then also you, I think it's kind of echoing Grand Budapest Hotel with the heist Escape from Prison. All the some of the shots that I really liked I think were taken from Wes well, Anderson. So
0: now, I think it's really interesting you say that and I understand why you say it. My feeling is not that it's a copy of Wes Anderson. No, but my I feeling think it, is that it's it over it. the essence of why Wes Anderson's style is appealing without directly mimicking it. And I think, think that's a debt. Well, it, of course there's a debt, but like, where, where would you be in the creative world if you didn't stand on the shoulders of giants, Phil? Like, have you not thought to yourself, I'd love to see more films made with the whimsical and yet not cheesy style of Wes Anderson? I thought all the prison framing was great, and I loved how over the top the framing was with everything sort of perfect. Like, the way that the funfair was shot, where Hugh Grant's character makes his appearance... I thought it was just absolutely stunning. It was magical, and it had this feeling of grandeur, even though it's actually really, really small. It was a very, very tiny set, and it's a tiny set piece, but it really worked to elevate everything, all the themes and, and the atmosphere. I, I, was, I was impressed from start to finish, and I think you have to give Paul King credit for the performances he gets as well, because I don't think Hugh Grant would do that for everybody.
1: True, and I think that's a point well made. I'll give you that. I think, yeah, Paul King... Does do a good job. I think he's solid. Anyway, last, that's- last
0: one I want to say is that David Heyman is the producer and he's been involved in all kinds of successful things. He produced the first one as well. He specifically highlighted Paul King again and again and again in a really interesting interview I read, and he said, This guy's going to be an amazing talent. And you know, I saw the film before I read that interview, so that wasn't influencing me. I, I agreed after the film. Now, even more so, I think we should be expecting pretty big things for the guy. Has he, he started done anything with the, other he than started with the mighty boosh? Uh, really? And he wasn't even their first choice. I think someone else stepped down and he took it up. And he's done very, very few things. So I I wonder whether he chooses his projects well. And you know So you yeah. saying this is a
1: one to watch, you're Absolutely. putting your binoculars on Paul King?
0: I think so, and I'm excited about what he might produce based on this
1: there you go you heard it here first from Laurie Bailey of yeah. the Super Bailey Bros
0: I feel like we need to not say too much more because we've really gone on for a long time in quite I apologise, listeners. To this,
1: this is what happens when you get a little bit of a debate going I, on I
0: really loved Hugh Bonneville and Sally Hawkins I thought they worked brilliantly I really liked Sally Hawkins a lot and I I was racking my brains trying to try think where I had seen her before because she almost looks like a household face do you know what I mean she's been in films quite recently a fair bit that must be it she's great and she plays a role that hasn't been seen since films in the 1990s It's kind of great British sort of mother of the household <laughs> so you're saying <laughs> you we go on, know, and I then know. you go on for another five well, minutes like there about... are other things we haven't said I really like the fact that, that I thought it was quite a subversive script where sometimes you just got to put a full stop on <laughs> I gotta it, say this friend. last thing where I think it's quite edgy and satirical and it sends itself up I think the film acknowledges its own tweeness in the script in a way that's quite helpful the way that it suggests prison reform is possible if you if only we all ate better marmalade sandwiches I think that was a, a laugh at its own sort of perfect version of Britain I thought it was making fun of itself and I love that there we go mm so the grade for me listeners is an A minus I think it's really good you'll love it go if you're you know you take your family go on your own I think I think it's great and it'll make you feel very togethery which is nice I'm gonna give it a B minus I didn't enjoy it that much a whole grade
1: and this is your chance listeners to show your distaste for my review or praise for Laurie's I'm gonna soak up
2: plus
0: ones in your plus ones or minus
1: ones so email in superbellybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbellybros. send in your plus ones or your minus ones if you agree disagree with Laurie or myself and can I add one last thought mm-hmm. I it really bothered me that Paddington kept on putting stuff in his ears and the toothbrushes in the ears bad, and coins was a, tough a bad one. bad bad thing so to you not. to children do not in there
0: almost or something at one point oh, it's just gross and it's agree not good you. for your ears do not put stuff in your ears yes. kids although they laughed at it I think they got the joke yeah they'll la- they won't be laughing when they're in A&E <laughs> he's so miserable you need a hard stare that's what you need <laughs> oh Okay, only the brave listeners. Now, this is uh, based on a true story, Phil. It's about the Yarnell Hill fire of 2013 in Arizona. It's about the Granite Mountain hotshots. Do you know what hotshots are, Phil? I'm guessing people who fight forest fires. Very good. Were you actually guessing that from the name or from something you've heard? Uh, Awareness of generally stuff. that There's that sort of thing going on in California. Yes, that's right. Actually, that was this year, was it not, in California? There's
1: there's always forest fires in California. And uh, when I was out there... Uh, when I was staying with a the family, they they said that like they were telling me, oh, this whole park got burnt and like people yeah, had to man. evacuate their homes. So. When we
0: were in Portugal, the area that we were going through by train also hit by wildfires. They are absolutely horrifying, and devastating.
1: And actually, when I was in Arizona, sorry, I'm not making You make you're Mr. America right now, yeah. Uh, but like, I remember driving uh, on my way to Vegas, actually, in Arizona, and it being like genuinely seeing some fire that just emerged on a bush. And that was really weird. It was so hot. I
0: don't know. Yeah, man, I wouldn't. I don't know that I'd handle that very well. So, yeah, you're right. They are known as elite firefighters and they're sort of oddly funded. I think you might get hotshot teams who move around the country because they're so specialist. I think they're quite well paid. It's a very dangerous job. They handle wildfires. The Granite Mountain hotshots were, I think, the first and so far only municipal hotshot team, which means they're attached to a town. So it's Prescott, I think, in Arizona. And it's a story about how they became hotshots, what the sort of makeup of the team was like. You particularly follow Josh Brolin's Eric Marsh, who's the chief, who drives them to become hotshots through an evaluation and wants nothing but the best for his boys. Good camaraderie, team spirit, very very sensible, respects the fires. There's almost like a Moby Dick-like respect with nature, and he's often looking at the fire and talking to it. Oh, you're going to go that way, huh? That kind of thing, right? Uh, But you also see right at the other end of the experience spectrum with miles teller who is playing uh brendan mcdonough who they all call donut and he's basically a waster at the beginning of the film so into drugs he's sort of hopeless then he fathers a child without necessarily meaning to and realizes he's got to get his life in order so he signs up for the hot shots he's given a chance that no one else would give him and he has to prove himself by sticking out the tough training by getting on with the rest of the guys and learning how to put his life on the line and through that we see them all approaching this famous event, the Yarnel Hill Fire. Now, I wouldn't look up the Yarnel Hill Fire listeners at this point. It'll change your experience of the film, I think, if you know about it beforehand. If you already know it, that's fine. It'll be a different experience. But for now, shall we have the trailer? Yes. Here we go.
2: I work this blaze near Montana. In the blink of an eye, just fire everywhere. And then charging out of these flames comes this bear on fire. It was the most beautiful... And terrible thing I've ever seen I heard you guys have some slots available you lost her. <laughs> we got one slot open you know what we're training for hot shots get to engage the fire directly the seal team six of firefighters if you give me a chance I won't let you down sooner or later the fire's gonna come knocking knock in out. our hometown I've been training for over four years got all our hours all our qualifications but until we're certified hot shots my crew won't even be able to set foot on the line i told you it wouldn't be easy you want to talk about it or you want to do your john wayne thing it's not easy sharing a man with a fire take this little stinker he's not a stinker Bye. Bye bye i want you all to breathe in this beautiful vista You're never going to be able to look out into the wilds and see that pure beauty again. This ain't the greatest job in the world, I don't know what is. What is that? Fire's threatening homes and people's lives. I want Granite Mountain. There it is. You're hot shots. I just had a daughter, and I just really want to give her what I never had. If the fire gets past our line, it goes to our town. Burn over seconds away. It's gonna feel like the end of the world. As long as you can breathe, you can survive. She's barely seen you for the past few months. I'm sorry. We're gonna take the fire head on and save our town. Come on. Y'all are heroes. No one could be prouder of his boys than I am of you guys. One a piece of me, come again. get it.
0: Yeah, so I think there are a couple of things that will already give you quite a clue about what this film is like, listeners. The music in that trailer and the choice of the I script. was going to say, it yeah. seems impossibly heavy. But then also the title, Only the Brave. And this is something I thought coming out of it. They could have called it Granite Mountain. That would be quite a cool name for a film. Mm. Or even Yarnell Hill, which is about the event. But both of those things would perhaps be more about the event. Whereas if you call it Only the Brave and you have that music, guess what it's about, Phil? The manliness of the men? The people. Just the people. It's not just the men either. It's their families and it's the community that support these guys. Know them, love them, work with them, all that sort of stuff. This is an absolute tribute to some incredibly brave real-life people and everything that they went through. Not just the event itself but what it took to get them there as well. So... I think, you know, you probably can picture it without me telling you too much. The trailer will have done that as well. There's a lot of almost military-style tough love going on from Josh Brolin. There's a lot of guys learning to put their demons behind them. There's a lot of them embracing family life, having arguments. There's a lot of kitchen-sinky melodrama. With is the the, is there a home. sense of
1: normalcy, though, to these men's lives?
0: Absolutely. And that that's one of the things I really praise it for. It's, it's unapologetically trying to give you a, a vaguely warts-and-all portrait of these guys and everything that led up to the big events that they were involved with. But it also means because it is a bit warts and all, you get to see them being cheeky and it, you get to see their slightly bantery rudeness, but also their highs and their lows, their difficult family lives. It's a real sort of, it's a proper tribute.
1: So they're not just sort of stoic hard men.
0: No I mean obviously there's a bit of macho posturing in there but then the truth is that probably was a part of these guys life and they're banding together because they were facing incredibly difficult things and one of the ways of coping with that is to have this kind of manly banter going on right because it maybe helps trivialize the uh, danger of the thing that you're involved in and I, I think the film does it very sensitively it does it very slowly so it's not a quick film. And I enjoyed it. Jennifer Connelly plays Josh Brolin's wife. I love Jennifer Connelly. I think she's brilliant. I can't believe she's not in more things. Really, really like her. I think Josh Brolin does a really good job as almost Jeff Bridges, but he's not Jeff Bridges because then Jeff Bridges turns up as well. As Jeff Bridges. Uh, Yeah, again, wearing a cowboy hat. It's like this guy landed a role and realised I'm going to do that for the rest of my career. (laughs) I, I I like it. It's not trying to do anything flashy. It is shining a light on something that we don't know much about. I mean, if I asked you, Phil, I bet you wouldn't know a lot about fighting fires (laughs) like and that's quite impressive i have done some fire marshal training with some extinguishers i'll have you know so have i I know the difference between foam and whatever the other one is so (laughs) obviously you know (laughs) the difference then (laughs) this is very very different and it is quite clever the way that they manage to do exposition it's not plot exposition it's more trying to teach you what it takes to be these guys and what it means Mm -hmm. and it's trying to set up Uh, particular pieces of knowledge so that when stuff is happening later on in the film, much later on in the film, you get the cues as they happen. So you recognise warning flags, you know, all that sort of stuff.
1: Is it just build up and then the event or is there other bits of uh, is there sort of peaks and valleys when it comes to the action and intensity
0: well there's a lot of peaks and valleys in terms of the emotional and relational drama there are action scenes where they're involved in firefighting and you don't quite know how things are going to turn out i, I assume a lot of it is based on real events because uh, in particular this guy brendan mcdonald donut was a source for the film and he gave a lot of information and there's there's a snake bite scene with him then you kind of think well that wouldn't be in the film unless it probably happened but i can't speak to it i don't know the people don't really know the event that well but it's not going to be for everybody. I think it is quite harrowing in places. Wildfires are terrifying, and the sort of situations everyone gets into are quite threatening in a lot of cases. Some people are going to be put off by the macho stuff that you mentioned before. People don't really have patience for it, but that, that is kind of what this film is about, unashamedly, and, and if anything, quite proudly, I think. And there's a lot of faux symbolism as well. Like there's, I mean, in the beginning of that trailer, you heard him going on about the bear that came running through the fire like a burning bear, and he describes it as one of the most beautiful and terrible things he'd ever seen. And like when he said that, I was trying to picture what a burning bear would look like running at me. And the, the word beautiful didn't really occur to me uh, particularly. So there's a lot of hamminess, but it's all OK. There is one particular exchange of dialogue that nearly threw me out of the film. Uh, because I I wonder what you'll think of this film. So Josh Brolin's like, manly guy comes back from a fire to meet his wife, Jennifer Connelly, who's been wrangling horses all day. And mm. there's beautiful pictures of them riding horses around, right? Uh, and uh, I think she says to him, "You're dirty," because he is dirty, right? It's got smuggled over him. And he goes, "Well, you're filthy." She says, "Well, you smell." Kiss. <laughs> Does that sound like a romantic exchange to you?
1: It sounds like a badly scripted romantic exchange. Okay,
0: so there's your barometer for the film. The film is not not in the least bit worried about doing that for the whole runtime. In your
1: face. Yeah,
0: and you know what? It worked on me. I was impressed. Can I ask what did
1: My- what did you think of Miles Teller?
0: Yeah, I love Miles Teller. I think he's brilliant in everything I've seen him in. He's often the best thing in a bad film as well.
1: Mm, okay, and what about Josh Brolin? Is he just Josh Brolin as Josh
0: Brolin? He's very different, for example, than his character in Hail Caesar. I think what Josh Brolin does have is a kind of mild-mannered toughness. He looks like a tough man, and his voice has got that like gravel to it, but he often plays it as if he's quite weary and quite resigned so he is doing that in this but I almost didn't realise it was Josh Brolin for a while so and Jeff Bridges
1: fine. is he just Jeff Bridges
0: yeah I, I'm sort of over his um, cowboy stick. stick. yeah mm. I, I, saw, I think it was best, better than it will ever be again in hell or high water no need to keep returning there That's a great film. Go watch that. It is, but you know what? It's no surprise that all these big names wanted to be in it. Taylor Kitsch is in it as well. (laughs) Another bit of a Toby Kebbell guy here. Taylor Kitsch. He can't seem to really catch a proper break.
1: No, I feel sorry Uh, for him. He was uh, he was great as Tim Riggins in Final Lights. Well, they
0: go, and he was really good in this as a sort of. He and Mars tell a butthead, knock heads quite early on because he's to like uh, prove himself, I'm the Mr. Man with a massage. He's mustache. a hot shot, a hot shot. Exactly, and Taylor Kitsch does a really good job there. Uh, look, the film, for me, listeners, gets a solid B. It's enjoyable, a bit harrowing. If you're up for that kind of moving, real account of real people being brave in an everyday way, just like Deepwater Horizon, for example, but slightly yeah, less high wondering. tension, or a bit like Sully, which came out recently, there's obviously a big market for this, then it's your film and, and you'll enjoy it
1: okay there you go if you've gone to see Only the Brave do email in can I ask what the
0: certificate is I think it is a 15 okay think. there you go mm-hmm. movie news <laughs> What? <laughs> what do you do in this situation? All right, man, give us the headline.
1: Uh, Rian Johnson, Ryan... I why is this guy's name spelled? R-I-A-N, Ryan. Yes. Ryan Ryan Johnson has been announced to be producing, creating, writing, directing
0: even. He's attached, completely I think, at this point, A
1: separate trilogy but in the Star Wars universe. Can you believe it?
0: Yeah, I can believe it. You know, Disney are doing a very, very good job of saturating every single magazine and uh, news website about this. So they just need to make the money, don't they? And who knows how well Han Solo is going to do, or even episode nine. I guess this is also them trying to say, please go and see episode nine. It's going to be great. Do you think this is purely just a money grab? Well, I don't know. I mean, it all depends what kind of IP they're doing. This is the kind of thing people have said they wanted for a long time, right? People accuse The Force Awakens of being just a straight ripoff of, uh, uh, what's it called? Episode four, A New Way Home. What's it called? A New, a new Home. home. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, and so this is, well, you can't deny it. It's a brand new story set in the same universe. I, you know, when's the last really great original sci-fi story that you can think of? That's my worry, basically. Oh, that's a tough question. Yeah, okay, that's interesting.
1: But I think there must be better trilogies or better franchises to return to, where you could have a standalone. Well, I mean a better universe. You yeah, mean? you take the model and you do something.
0: I mean, Ghostbusters was potentially going to be one, and then it kind of flopped because well, it was they didn't an alternate really... universe rather than the same. Wasn't yeah, it? it was very odd. We well, you know actually it was one thing that we should have really done our homework properly on was when we talked about the Matrix remake a couple of weeks ago. That was just a, you know, there's a, a story I read months and months Reaction. ago, so we could talk about something else. But apparently. The uh, proposed person behind it has said it's not going to be a remake so much as new stories set within the Matrix universe. Which maybe is good, or it slightly wrecks the ending of the the third film, I
1: guess. Or well, here you go, then you get into the convoluted thing. Maybe it's pro- like prior to the events of Could be, yeah, secretly. But I was I, I was thinking about it, what trilogy or what franchise would I want new stories from but mm-hmm. n- separate from the actual thing? I'd quite like to see some Oceans Eleven films oh. but like separate. But I know they're doing that female led Oceans Eleven, Ocean yes. Seven or or something.
0: But the thing is that's not a world, is it? That's just our world. But
1: and... I think it is a world because you've got the whole criminal element, the kind of honor amongst the they all seem to know each other mm. there's that sort of backstory always lingering in those films
0: I could do with another film set in Zootopia just not about Judy Hopps
1: really what yeah. would you want a, a Zootopia film about
0: well I don't know anything I mean because they've, they've got an entire city there but I like the sort of construction of the universe I like, like a sports got...
1: movie with a rhino as the... yeah you
0: could do that or a singing film whatever they've got Gazelle is it is that Shakira uh, but they've got the sort of tiny different, you know, different areas of the zone. I think that could work. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a Zootopia too. What about a new Back to the Future film, but
1: not anything to do with Marty McFly or Doc Brown?
0: But it would have to have something like the time machine, maybe.
1: Yeah, like they discover the DeLorean or something like that. But we're talking about the world of soft reboots, are we not? Sort of,
0: that's I guess. That's kind of what they're doing with this. They're soft rebooting their own franchise. But then what do you think Ryan
1: Johnson has gone in with an idea and that's why it's all come about? Or do you reckon they're just like oh, here's some money, go do something. And then they can cancel it if it doesn't work.
0: You know, without being too cynical about it, like Disney are trying to say, don't get too bored with us. Like, we've still got plenty of cards left to play in this game. You know, if you're getting annoyed or worried about Han Solo, there was this Twitter poll I saw, Phil. I know Twitter's not necessarily the most reliable thing, uh, but it did have a poll saying, what are you most looking forward to, episode nine or Han Solo? And Han Solo was on, like, 6%. 6%, really? Yeah, but it's not that surprising, really, is it? Because with Han Solo, the character already exists. So either you've got to, like, just... The best they can hope for is matching how much people like that character. They're not going to do better. They're not going to be more Han Solo than Han Solo. Holden
1: Ehrenreich is not yeah. going to beat out Harrison Ford. Well, it can't
0: happen because he's trying to match Harrison Ford. So actually, it's match or do worse, isn't it? So I think people do want to see new things from Disney. And this is just another way of saying we don't just have remakes, reboots, soft things bad ideas we've also got like something completely new which is what everyone apparently wants anyway
1: well i suppose what i'm going to ask is listeners if you've got suggestions of what you prefer to have an original film or trilogy of a different franchise other than star wars what would you pick would you pick some more lord of the rings universe stuff would you pick some bit more back to the future who knows send in your suggestions
0: and are you excited about this new star wars trilogy held by the looper chap
1: get in touch superbailybrows at gmail.com at superbailybrows on
0: twitter movie news <laughs> yes what we've been watching is back all the films that you can possibly we hope anyway find at a dvd shop if they still exist in your neighbourhood or on streaming services almost immediately if we recommend it otherwise you might have seen it and you tell us we're wrong all that sort of stuff phil what's your film paper towns and i'm going to do the legend of 1900 paper towns first
2: yes the way I figure it, everyone gets a miracle. My miracle was, I wound up living across the street from Margot Roth Spiegelman. She was an arguably the most gorgeous creature that God had ever created. Margot's life was a series of unbelievably epic adventures. Are you gonna spend the rest of high school pining for this girl? As senior year drew to a close, Margot and I were practically strangers. Until this one night. What the? Margot? I need to borrow your car. What? I have nine things I need to do tonight. Can't you just get your boyfriend to do it? Ex-boyfriend. My boyfriend has been cheating on me. Revenge plot begins. Not as weird as it looks. Stop. I can't believe you just did that. Take the picture. Now. (laughs) Okay, now that was fun. I can feel my heart beating in my chest. That is the way you should feel your whole life. It's beautiful. It's a paper town, paper houses and paper people. Everything's uglier up close. Aren't you? I think it's gonna be different in the morning? I really hope so. Margot always loved mysteries. Maybe she loved them so much, she became one. She's gone. When was the last time you saw Margot?
0: You were with her. Her last night, it has to mean
2: something. There's something in Margo's window. She left little clues, like breadcrumbs. I found something. I think she's sending you a message. Come find me. We're trying so hard. You'll go to the paper towns, and you'll never come back. I think I know where she might be.
1: I'm going with you.
2: she's going, I'm, I'm definitely going. Take a risk. Stop planning so safe. Maybe that's what she's been trying to tell me the whole time. What can I say? I'm on a mission. Hey everyone gets a miracle my a miracle is margot ross spiegelman
1: this what you didn't see there was laurie's eye rolling and sighing really was watched... i doing that yeah. i wasn't even aware of that <laughs> you definitely were you did not look impressed by this movie at all what was what was the reaction about
0: what do i think of it based on the trailer it just is like a film i'm not really interested in seeing it looks like a twee teen film in which teenagers think they're deep about everything really they just need to grow up as we all do So
1: listeners, this is a uh, film based on a book by a guy called John Green. You probably don't recognise his name... But you will probably recognise another film that is based on one of his books, The Fault in Our Stars. Yes, right. And like you said, it's very much got that sort of twee teen thing where they know deep insights about life and humanity. It's the kind of thing, I'm
0: going to try and freestyle a scene right here, Phil. It's the kind of uh, film in which a geeky guy who's just discovering himself and, you know, or learning about the big world and, and trying to romance girls and things. There's some girl that he's always fancy but never spoken to one day. Uh, you know, he's at a party and, and then suddenly she just turns up and starts talking to him and he can't believe it and she says something like this close your eyes here come on and then pushes him into the pool and laughs and then he laughs as well and then she jumps in and they laugh and then they swim around in their clothes because that's the kind of zany thing that real life is about is that a scene in this film <laughs> no but it
1: very well could be yeah and it pretty much is uh <laughs> this is, this is about Quentin oh there you Quentin? go Quentin yep And uh, he's very much, as you heard in the trailer, in love with this girl who lives across the street. They grew up together, but they're no longer friends. Cara Yeah, her name's Margot. He meets her on the last day of her apparent existence in this town before she departs for no apparent reason. And nobody really knows where she is. But everyone knows Margot's a bit of a zany character. Of course, she's going to go disappear. But... Quinton believes he can find her because he she always leaves a little bit of a trail, a little bit of breadcrumbs for her to discover, for him to discover. And he thinks, wait a second, I've had this magical night with this wonderful girl, the girl of my dreams, the miracle. She he calls her. Uh, I'm going to go find her and track her down. This is obviously a miracle, really. Well, he says everyone's entitled to one miracle in their life. My miracle was Margot living across from me. Goodness me! me.
0: I mean, I can see the problems with that.
1: So this is a part. What's the word? Pass and parcel? Saying? I don't know. What are you going to say? It's like a packed sort of well, I can't think of the phrase at all. <laughs> what do you call it when it's like a, a got a bow on it? Basically, it's completely wrapped, gift wrapped, gift wrapped sort of teen drama, like you said, where they're all into each other and they think they know life and they're desperately trying to search for meaning and they so, think. But, as
0: you know, most of the script comes from I'm 14 and This Is Deep. on Yeah, Reddit. basically,
1: like high school is the most refining time of your life, which
0: it does feel like at the time, to be fair.
1: And then Cara Delevingne as Margot is playing the definition of a manic pixie dream girl, right? But that is intentional really yes and that is i didn't enjoy this film at all but the whole idea of it was frustrating to me i thought the main guy was no way ever going to end up with cara de there was a massive mismatch he looks so dopey as a guy i couldn't believe he was <laughs> the lead of the film um he's got a cast of friends who he takes on this road trip to try and find her and of course they yeah, get yeah. into like random he little probably ends if, up
0: finding himself
1: exactly and all this sort of thing but the ending is slightly unusual Okay, in that it is slightly undercutting that whole experience of teenagers who feel like everything's connected, that they're the hero in a story. And these little moments that they have are actually just building up to a big climax. And it's slightly un- unpicking that in some ways and yet also feeding the troll and then others.
0: Okay, so it's a little bit more subversive than the trailer would have you believe.
1: And Carla, Cara Delevingne's character is a lot more interesting than you might suspect you because know, of that.
0: It, just you saying that makes me uh, remember a film called Slow West. Remember that film? It's got Michael Fassbender in it.
1: Yeah, you really liked it, didn't you?
0: It was interesting. I don't know that I liked it, but there's a similar dynamic there, which is a boy questing after a girl because he feels they have a deep connection but well in slow west I can't speak for this film he turns up to the girl and she barely just doesn't really recognise him because it's all in his head and it's a fantasy just played out in the wild west instead
1: so there is that sort of element but I won't spoil it just sure, for you sure. unfortunately the clues are interesting and the magical night the magic night of wonder that he experiences with Margot is annoyingly twee I found the characters really irritating and super annoying. They were massively teenagers. Yeah, sure. And it's, it's kind of the thing which I imagine when I was 14, I'd really love. And I think this is so my life. And that girl I've been pining after. I'm just waiting for that moment where we connect. And it would have ticked all those boxes. And I imagine for some audiences, it would really tick those boxes.
0: Mm. I mean, it would have worked for me, Phil. I mean, the reason I'm so disparaging about these things is because, well, you know, in the ages of MSN, when I was 14, I think I probably was actually 14, I wrote as my uh, MSN profile name, uh, the quote from Moulin Rouge, which I found very meaningful. Which one? The greatest thing you'll ever learn is to love and be loved in return. And I thought that said it a lot about life but <laughs> me as well me in particular so hey, look I'm the worst offender in this which is I why feel I feel like comfortable you know this is it. both the cause of all that
1: sort of ideas and also the antidote in the some ways mm. but it's up for you to decide I think Cara Delevingne I'm slowly becoming a fan of officially right I, I think she's great in Valerian One I, think, I think she was good in I think she's good in everything I've seen her in which I know is a controversial opinion I remember hearing you and James Luxford talk about the Enchantress in uh, oh, Suicide yeah. Squad and making fun of her and I remember thinking I quite liked her in that I thought she did a good job I
0: I think James didn't like her more than I thought she was fine I just I thought the character was poor but Cara Delevingne's fine yeah I think she does
1: a good job in what she's in and I think she deserves a bit of attention and I think this is quite a good role for her to be in I think mostly it's a forgettable film so for me I'm going to give Paper Towns a B Minus.
0: Okay, listeners, give Phil a plus one if he's right and a minus one if he's wrong. And uh, sorry if we sounded a bit too dismissive. But, you know, it's all fun and games, isn't it? <laughs> it is
1: all fun and games. And there was a time when I really loved these films. And there's yeah, some, some of these too. films which I still really love. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say is the music was annoying. It was classic indie affair.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like yeah. indie music. Well, there we are, listeners. Good one. Thanks, Phil. Uh, let us move on to The Legend of 1900.
2: I've been hearing a lot of talk about a guy. He's supposed to have been born on this ship and never been off it since. Crazy story. 20 years without ever setting foot on land? 27. They say this guy makes music that's never been heard before. I've heard of him too. the one who invented jazz right that's what they say and you're the one who can't play unless you have the ocean under your ass the world is out there nothing but a gangplank to cross a few stupid steps leave this ship marry a nice woman and have children all those things in life which are not immense but are worth the effort Sky's the limit, Mr. 19. Mind if I call you 19? I was born on this ship, and the world passed me by. But 2,000 people at a time. The Legend of nineteen hundred.
0: Right. As you may have picked up there, listeners, The Legend of 1900 is a strange fictional story about a guy who ends up born on this amazing ocean liner, the Virginia, which ferries people to America, basically, so they can discover a land of opportunity in, at the turn of the 20th century. He's born on the boat. And he sort of gets adopted by a guy in the engine room because his parents just aren't there. He's left on the boat. And then he spends his life on the boat and ends up being a pianist along the way and meeting people and inspiring people, all that kind of stuff. And Gump style? Sorry, Forrest Gump. Well, let's come on to that. Yeah, Forrest Gump style is about right. Uh, The character's name, check this out, is Danny Budman, TD Lemon, 1900. And that's because the guy in the mechanic area decided that because he's born in the year 1900, that was going to be his name. So people call him 1900. And this guy is played by Tim Roth. OK, now, I think probably the best thing to do here, Phil, because it was recommended to us by a listener many times and we finally watched it, and that's Kufucius. Kufucius, this is for you. I'm going to read out, because he very kindly sent it in, what he really loves about this film, listeners, so that everything that I say comes in the light of that. So he says, why I love Legend of 1900 so much. Well, there's so much to say, and I find it hard to express my thoughts apart from chucking out a few keywords. Ennio Morricone, for one, easily one of the best soundtracks. The American dream and hope for the future being really well expressed. I like the scripts, quite poetic storytelling and the way the story was narrated, told as from a supposedly best friend. And by that, he means Max Tooney, who's a trumpet player who accompanies 1900, played by Pruitt Taylor Vince. I also like the cinematography. Yeah, beautiful cinematography. As a musician myself, I was even I was constantly tricked as if Tim Roth himself was a master pianist. They do do that. Lots of shots of Tim Roth's hands, and including his whole body as well. It's quite impressive. And then the duo, music versus the West. So this is the, as a duel between a master of jazz in America and then this guy, 1900, who seems to have picked it up just by listening to people who come on the boat. And he said, instead of like gunfighting, it's done on the piano. And there's a special quote containing an expletive that he thought expressed it really well. Uh, and then the final thing he loves is the hard choice or decision between the finite and the infinite being well expressed through the story. Probably one of those films He says that no matter what others say, it's always going to be one of my favourites. So there you go, listeners. Well, there a- you
1: go, free licence, Laurie. I know,
0: right, yeah. That's a devoted fan's response right there. So just know that is there's someone who absolutely loves this film. I am glad of your last thing there, Kufucius, because to me, this really is obviously one of those films that you either love it or you just it doesn't click with you. There seems
1: to be a lot of mention of jazz, And that makes me think that this is a bit of a division when kind of on the key point of jazz.
0: Actually, it's less of a key player than you think. There is a lot about the transcendence of this guy's music and how it's magical and people can't quite believe that this guy could write music like that. And the people who know him on the boat are desperate for him to get his music off the boat. But for various reasons, he just doesn't really want to do it. So here's the thing. It's directed by Giuseppe Tornatore. Does that name ring any bells for you, no. film? He directed Cinema Paradiso, which is one of those films that people absolutely love. It was in the uh, late 80s. It was credited apparently as, you know, a return to the brilliance of Italian cinema and brought it into the mainstream. And it's a very sentimental sort of nostalgic look at old cinema, but also uh, someone from a small town making the most of their opportunities. And it had a really famous montage of romantic kiss scenes for for narrative purposes and this guy obviously had a like rode a very big success wave with that and got to make this film as well and It is sweeping. It is huge. I can't fathom the amount of money that got spent constructing the sets because it is really, really lavish. The interior of the boat looks spectacular. It's like you're watching Titanic, but in a slightly smaller scale. Uh, The engine rooms are amazingly greasy and things, and there's incredibly creative camera work where everything feels so grand and so epic. And it is a style of filmmaking that really hasn't been seen much since the 1990s, partly because it's so grandiose. I think people have lost patience for that kind of thing. For example, the opening of the film is a really long sequence of people arriving or suddenly seeing America appearing through the mist as they're trying to come to it. And people Mm. go, America! It's America! And people lose their minds because they cannot wait to get to the land of the free or whatever. Mm. And They see the staturity. And it is actually really quite beautiful and very stirring. And you do find yourself caught up with how emotional these people must have felt to finally get to America. And I think that is, that's is—that's a really fascinating thing. It does go on for a really long time and there's a lot of extras, and there's huge sets from this boat. Like, it's massive, 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 and the music is like this sweeping, like, epic score from Ennio Morricone, you know, who did Gabriel's oboe, and he's sort of in the elite of composers. Is he the guy who
1: did the uh, famous stuff? Did The mission. The-
0: right. And he did all those famous westerns as well. The, is that what you meant? Phil? Yeah, the good, bad, the ugly, fistful of dollars, all that Once sort of stuff. Once upon a time in the West. That's a- yeah, so he's real legend, and the music is beautiful right the way through. I hope you're picking up listeners for, from From all that. There's good. Good and bad, in my opinion, uh, in equal amounts, because it is really slow and super dripping with emotion and sentimentality. And it asks you to be swept along with it. And do you remember what I said about children of men and angered some people, which is that children of men... You have to be on board with it from minute one. Otherwise, you won't be able to miss the wave
1: and it won't carry through. It just
0: it's just sailed on without you and you just can't get on board that boat. I felt a little bit like that with this one because it was so slow. I just felt all I could notice was how slow and emotional it was and how deliberately overblown the performances and the staging was. So it gets framed with this trumpet player guy at the music shop pawning his trumpet for $25 and he gets depressed that scene goes on forever he ends up we see this uh, whole film told through his eyes because he's telling the story to the music shop owner and so we learn it, and we we chop back there every now and again and there's a part where he's trying to explain to the music shop owner how 1900 suddenly made a decision that he didn't expect and that's a really good scene to articulate what I'm talking about because he literally repeats this I, I think about five times in for about 10 minutes. And you, you I just you don't see films doing that. He kind of says, you, you know when you hang a painting up and it drops? And the guy goes, no. And he's like, you know when you hang a painting up and it's on a nail in the wall. And that wall has hung it there for so long. And then what suddenly makes the nail go boop? And then the painting goes bam. And I mean, what happens when... Something that stood there for so long suddenly drops and bam and I, like there's about eight bams. i <laughs> just stop saying bam, please stop saying bam. I get it, I understand. Please carry on. And the cut that I saw is two hours and fifty minutes. Like 50, it is, two hours and fifty minutes. And not is, fifteen. It is epic. Because it's a capital epic. Every letter is a capital. and it is epic, Sort of epic, like epic. the biblical
1: epics of the day. You but mean, the, grandiose and yeah, big money so It's not
0: about the Bible stories. It's a fictional story about a guy who's born on a boat, becomes a pianist, and it's a bit Benjamin Button. It's a bit Forrest Gump. And you're not
1: a fan of those films, are you?
0: It's too uh, coy, or I don't even know what it is, that it just can't quite connect with me. But for all that, it is obvious to me, and Confucius did a great job explaining it there, how beautiful it could be if it for got someone. you yeah, yeah if it got you in the right mood it's weird it makes you realize that there are some good things that have happened in the decades since the 90s to so cinema it's become a little bit more efficient and you know times change along with it and i just don't think audiences will have enough patience for it but if you do you probably will absolutely love it and the music is incredible one thing I do want to say is that uh, when I was reading up about it is at a presentation at a film festival where this was screened, Tim Roth gave an intro and apparently he said, if you're the kind of person that likes to really analyse films, over-analyse them and you know critique them, this isn't for you. But if you like to be swept away, then this is your film. So Tim Roth himself has an opinion on this one.
1: I'm slightly wondering if this is the sort of film which I would love because I do like Bicentennial Man. Yeah, I right. do like Benjamin Butter. I do like Forrest Gump. I like those sort of epic stories which span lots of different moments and uh, different people. So I'm kind of intrigued. I want to see my own version.
0: What's uh, Tim Roth like? I like Tim Roth. I know you're not a big fan of him. I think he does a good job here but I think any actor would have really struggled to somehow encapsulate this oddly whimsical character that you never really get to know. Especially when the camera just stays there and never cuts away and he has to deliver hundreds of lines that are sort of weird. So anyway... Confucius, I don't. I mean, I, (laughs) I
1: I feel like I can see the worry in your face because very kindly listeners got in touch and prompted this response. Yeah, and and I can so
0: clearly see how someone would love it, and I'm so glad to hear you say Confucius. It doesn't really matter what people say, like you love it, and it is obvious to me if you love it, you're going to love it, whatever, because it makes you feel a certain way, and it's escapist, and it's it does have that hope, especially when you see you know them coming to America and all that. But I just couldn't. I'm sorry, it didn't connect with me in the way that I really wanted it to. So What grade would you give? Probably it's gonna get a C plus from me, but that is mainly because of its extraordinary length. You know, a film that is nearly three hours. Could I ask hypothetically age, if it yeah. was condensed
1: down, would you would it go up?
0: Yeah, probably. I would put it at B B minus, that sort of area. But and maybe it's just I needed to see the, the theatrical cut, but there we are.
1: There you go i sorry, that went on a long I'm time sorry.
0: I wanted to do it justice, and I hope, I hope that wasn't you know, spoiling anything for you. Listen, if are.
1: you'd like to get in touch with your favourite film and have Laurie destroy it... Well,
0: it did <laughs> make me think, Phil, that we encourage people to get in touch with us if they do want us to take a look at a film. But probably the best way to do it is if there's a film that you've never quite seen or you've never quite got, those are the ideal ones, because then we can either warn you away from it or say, go for it.
1: Or we can interpret it and give a kind of take on it.
0: Yeah, exactly. But if it's your favourite film that you've treasured, you know we, we're never going to be able to match your love for it that's probably just true isn't it no, much as I wouldn't yeah. expect someone to love you know my favourite film uh, in the same way except probably Lost in Translation because if that isn't your favourite film yet it will be when you watch it
1: <laughs> so there you go if you'd like to get in touch with that either about Paper Towns or about The Legend of 1900 if you've seen that one yeah, you can reach us superbabybros at gmail.com or tweet us at Thanks. that's what
0: we've been watching indeed right let's get on to those emails
1: emails 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 from the listeners listeners this is how we do it we do a song at the beginning
0: good stuff man i feel like you i was worried you were getting into a rut but you seem to be finding new territories to explore
1: <laughs> i'm trying to just do different genres each time very
0: good what, what genre was that Avengers? that was uh kind of like a uh up-tempo jazz funk wow well i certainly got that vibe you know we actually had a listener tweet in this week to say that for our 100th show coming up very soon we should do a montage of your email songs <laughs>
1: oh no that'd be so bad
0: that's how beloved they are isn't that good oh gosh right thank you very much listeners for sending us stuff first up we've actually got a different email from kufushas thank you for getting in touch the title said enough is enough which made me worried oh, gosh but he says dear super Betty bros wow i miss you guys and the fun you bring to the listeners every week I guess that was when we we're on holiday. Congratulations on the amazing opportunity with BBC Oxford, Laurie. It feels as if all of the Bros and Pixels are sharing a little of your glory, <laughs> glory. <laughs> well, look if you if you feel that it's, it's a great. success,
1: isn't it? And they're part I of it. I suppose
0: so. Yeah, well, I couldn't have done it without everybody. So there you go. How about that? That's um, a great acceptance. <laughs> great what? That's a great acceptance speech. I couldn't have thank done you. it without everybody. Well, that's <laughs> a, imagine <laughs> if
1: somebody said that at the Oscars that would get the job done. Wouldn't that be so good? It'd be a much quicker. Event, I couldn't that, have done probably. it without everybody. Bye. That's, that's, thank you. That, thank you. I, so much. I think think that would be genuinely quite a successful Oscar speech if somebody did it. If
0: they did it with a little wry smile or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one to consider when we inevitably win an award (laughs) film. Plus one, he says, to both of you for Thor Ragnarok, it is very refreshing indeed. According to an interview with the director Taika Waititi, he mentioned he treated that project as a potential career ender, and I guess that's an attitude that has made him successful with his direction.
1: It definitely feels like he's decided to make the film he wants to make and is not going to be put off by... uh, people who don't like his version
0: yeah and I you know all to the better it was definitely it definitely felt unique didn't it and it stepped away from the formula in enough ways that it, it just felt refreshed, really so great uh, he says does that mean if I listen to the Super Baby Bros each week thinking it might be the final episode then I'd treasure my time and enjoy listening to the podcast as if there's no tomorrow
1: uh, yeah let's say yes
0: yes <laughs> okay Uh, If you enjoyed the Kiwi humour in Thor Ragnarok, surely you'll appreciate the hunt for the wilder people. Do look out for the big lady who also plays the assistant of the Grandmaster in Thor. Oh, yeah, right, the head of his guard. Mm, I've been waiting to watch it. it. It's
1: on Netflix, I believe.
0: Yes, it is, and I love Sam Neill, so I'm game for that. I did watch What We Do in the Shadows, which is another Taika Waititi film that he stars in as well. Bit different,
1: though, isn't it? It's a bit more of a kind of mockumentary. It is a mockumentary
0: about vampires. Yeah, I'll cover that maybe next week on what we've been watching. Mm, That'd be good. Uh, Enough with the Groundhog Day slash time loop idea already. I think this is the enough is enough from the title. I mean, if it's done right, then it's cool. But there's Source Code, then the sci-fi Groundhog Day, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. Then a couple of sci-fi TV series adopted the idea. There's a recent episode in Star Trek Discovery, apparently. It's a loop, yeah, a looping, a time loop. There we go. Also in Dark Matter. And now Happy Death Day. So not going to watch it, he says. I don't know. I think having fun with it and
1: doing something interesting or unique with it means that you can get more mileage out of it. There is a reason why the the groundhog day is so loved because it just works as a concept it's really satisfying watching people change because of the format everything around them doesn't change so the only thing that can change is them and yeah. so it's very clear watching the character arc and i think we often connect with character arcs and so that's the reason why it's so satisfying
0: well and it particularly resonates with a human characteristic which is wishing you could have another chance to say that thing or to redo that moment or to not do that you know that kind of thing and that really taps into our core even though it feels like an odd sci-fi the ripples the ripple yeah, effect how it would affect their life it's much more personal it's thinking if only I could do that over again and so I can see why it keeps getting used but yeah fair enough uh, that's it again lots of love from your most faithful fan despite not emailing in regularly no you, you email about like every week for a while Confucius we're just glad whenever you get in touch the wise man from the east Thank you. Thanks, Confucius. And, uh, you know, I did enjoy my time with Legend 1900. I just want to say that again. Thank you so much for recommending it. Johnny got in touch. Dear Mr. P and Mr. L, Super Bailey. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. I, too, have recently been to watch Thor Ragnarok at the cinema with my wife and a couple of friends. Overall, I agree with both of you. It was fun and bright. Also had some solid action sequences. I genuinely laughed a lot. And I was in quite a laughy cinema, which added to the experience. One person even did an audible, yes, <laughs> punch the <laughs> air when Idris Elba appeared with his massive sword. That's a good point. We didn't talk about him at all. I liked him again. He's sort of in the background in general. Heimdall with but his glowy yellow eyes. he plays eyes. it really well. He looks great with dreads and he, those eyes. Uh, he looks gold better. As,
1: he's almost, that's my favourite film role I've seen him in. Really? Yeah, I think he's a good TV actor. He's been in lots of good TV roles, but... I'm not sure about his film career at the moment, but Heimdall is a strong one.
0: Mm, interesting. I thought Mr. Thor, he carries on, was a very likeable character and thought he worked particularly well with the Hulk and Loki. Was it Loki's best film? That's a good question.
1: That is interesting. I feel often Loki steals the show. I think in this film, he felt much more on par with everyone else. And that meant that he was he served the film better, I think.
0: Yeah, and it was a bit looser, the interpretation, because he is, he's one of those guys you can just play with because... His whole device is pretending you can trust him, but you can't. But you do that with the audience every time as well. So mm, sort of You can endless. always keep them guessing. Yeah, it's good. Uh, he, uh, sadly, though, he goes on, I was slightly disappointed by Miss Valkyrie. The character seemed a bit underwritten, question mark. Maybe I missed something.
1: I think the potential of her is strong. I think she'll be in future movies. It wouldn't surprise me.
0: She had a slightly simplistic uh, storyline at this point. You know, it's a, a very well-worn trope, if I can call it that. The sort of bitter and jaded hero who's out on the sidelines who gets brought back into it uh, with a chance to redeem themselves like we've seen that a lot and that's kind of all they gave her to work with the thing that did elevate her a little bit so it wasn't too underwritten was her relationship with Hulk which I thought just fleshed her out in quite a nice way
1: and I think she doesn't she's a different sort of female character and I think Marvel struggles a bit with female characters Uh, she's a bit more like you said jaded which is unusual Um, so I, I think there's more it's more about the potential rather than what she actually did on the film
0: yeah, fair enough. He goes on. It was interesting that you said it stands alone as a film quite well. I thought so too, but my wife would disagree. She said it w- at the end it was a shame you had to know so much. But then she is the sort of person. Hold on, I'm not sure. This be- <laughs> sounds like it might be a personal thing. She's the sort of person who asks who someone is and why they are there as soon as they come on the screen.
1: Oh, one of those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it is it's okay. It's okay to ask the question. It is
0: so okay. Yeah, I would like to give Phil a plus one because he gave it an A minus. My wife would like to give Laurie a plus one because she agreed it was a good B movie. Thank you. There you go. Uh, the best thing about the whole experience is that the friend of ours bought the tickets and so paid. Win-win. <laughs> uh, and he's got an extra question here: How come the Hulk can jump so high? Surely he could have just jumped into one of those portals to get off the junk planet. Rather than do the party plane. Fair question. Ooh, uh, maybe because he was happy where he was. Could could well have been. All right. Thank you very much, Johnny, for getting in touch. And guess who's back in touch? David Samuel. <laughs> it's been a while, David. Hey, good to hear from you. Hi guys. He says I've been away for a while, focusing on my owls. They're doing well. Fear not. I've been listening very closely indeed won't make sense to listeners who've never heard of David Samuel. I know.
1: I always enjoy the fact that some people will know who David Samuel is, some people won't, and some people will just be along for the ride.
0: True story. I just wanted to disagree with you both about Blade Runner 2049. Ooh, Okay, hit us with it. I watched it immediately after rewatching the original, so the whole vibe was very fresh in my mind. Though I do feel it was too long and it's strange the key limiting feature of replicants that forced you to reflect on the brevity of life and the human nature of wanting to extend and preserve it was taken away. Follow along if you can. That's a good sentence.
1: That's what you said though, isn't it? You said the key part of the replicants is the fact they've got a limited lifespan.
0: That is their driver for being violent and for doing what they do in the film and it connects to the Whole of humanity beyond the scope of the film. It's not all focused within the film. It expands beyond and it, it,
1: and it drives that whole realization that they're not human, and yet they're showing a very human trait. Yeah, in the, the will sense... to live and the yeah, desire, exactly. and it's,
0: we can ourselves express that because our own deaths here in this real world might feel similarly, like without reason. What Are you telling me? I'm going to die someday? That's ridiculous. You know that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah, carry on. I do still feel it has similar questions to raise, but from a different angle. Most of my evidence to disagree with you is pretty spoilerful, but I'll do my best for a spoiler-free version. Thank you, appreciate that. Still on at cinemas, isn't it? Mm. K is a replicant who hunts replicants. Probably didn't choose this profession, but nonetheless, he's hated by replicants and humans alike, therefore. He has no chance for any meaningful connections. I think this is why he has that hologram, as it's the only one he can have. Fair point. You know, he's hated by his human colleagues... Uh, the replicants, I don't suppose we see a huge amount of replicants not liking him, but I guess they're afraid of well, him. Well, he's killing them, say. But not all of them, because there's a whole new generation of replicants, of which he is one. Uh,
1: yeah, but I think the implication is. They didn't is explore that... that
0: somehow. That's weird, mm. isn't it? <laughs> weird for such a great film. <laughs> again, oh, Larry. That's a little joke right there. It's just a little joke. Uh, despite this program being available to everyone and anyone because it adapts and learns based on your interactions with it, Kay feels he can never replace his hologram as he has a genuine connection to it. Does that make sense to you, Phil?
1: Yeah, which is a metaphor for him himself isn't it even though he is a a replaceable device and something which can be created again and again his experience is unique. His view on the world is unique.
0: That's the which links is the big tears in rains. Yeah, exactly. You haven't Blade seen running. this. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, the film again asks, "When is life? Life?" But this time about creation, where those who say they want to create only seem to destroy. That's quite abstractly phrased. So I think he's saying that the well, this maybe we would dip into sports Wallace and this. things. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. The, Was his name Nanda? Niander Wallace. I can't remember. Uh, if you do a spoiler episode, he goes on, I could explain it better. It's been a while. Peace out. DS. Nice. Thanks, DS. And thanks for the picture, David. Thank you. Uh, Sorry, listeners, if that didn't make much sense to you. For those of you who've seen the film, that probably will make a little bit more sense. And thank you, David, for a well-reasoned Uh, argument as to why there's more depth than we thought. All all I can say is my main thing was that it felt like there was a lot of exploring the world on its own terms and not much extrapolating from that world into our world, which is what you chew over when you leave.
1: I think the thing which I'm finding most interesting about all the correspondence we have with Blade Runner is the fact that almost universally, whether or not you loved or hated it, people say it needed to be shorter. And you slightly wonder, if that's the feedback from everybody, why was it not shorter? Yeah, sure. But interesting take on some of the themes. I think thematically it was stronger than I think you thought it was, Laurie, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, possibly. Maybe I need to see it again. Good three hours there. <sighs> <laughs> okay, a few tweets to finish up with. Anissa says, saw murder on the Orient Express at the weekend and have to say it was slow, plodding and oddly old-fashioned. Didn't like the end. I didn't like the end either. Uh, Nicholas says back on Wednesdays, yep, yep. Good news, yep, yep, glad yep. you're pleased. And he says, fantastic job, Laurie, on BBC Oxford. How about that? Uh, well, he says, you seem very comfortable, although very fast-paced compared to Superheroes. <laughs> did, didn't you say you got told like to slow down fast. about I was very fast. I spoke really quickly. I was a little bit nervous, strangely. Just because it was my first sort of official one, I'm going to be there every week, it felt a little bit different than the other times I'd done it. So I think I did probably speak fast, which I have a problem with anyway. <laughs> you are a fast uh, talker. Yeah, And
1: it, also, I think you're conscious of the fact that it's, a, it's like a, a smallish slot. Yeah, it's And so you're like, I've got
0: all this information I need to get across. I'm going to talk as fast as I can to so make sure you hear every single little bit. Well, I think more than usual, I had planned the things that I wanted to say. And normally I don't plan that in that much detail so it's that busy. I can move on a bit more. Mm. Um, so anyway, look, well, it'll be great next week. Like, I'm going to be so <laughs> slow. Uh, oh, 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 oh. Uh, he carries on now that Twitter has 280 characters. So glad hashtag Paddington 2 is successful. Good insight about Paul King being a British Wes Anderson. This is what I said on the radio. Any thoughts on the M&S? Oh, you didn't mention that. What? <laughs> I, that was my own hey original look, thought. I thought I'd let you say what you I said. I haven't
1: listened to your... I don't listen to your uh, Oxford show because I want to go in fresh
0: my own That's fair takes. enough, man. That's fair enough. Even if it is a bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you seen the MS Paddington ad? Yeah, I didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? Because I think it's
1: creepy having a weird thief Santa... And again, I don't like Paddington's
0: character.
2: I'm
1: sorry. Mm, I just find it annoying. He's so oblivious. He should be. He shouldn't be in London. He should be back in Peru.
0: But there's something nice about the general conceit, isn't there? It's the whole, here's a guy who's stealing things. And when Paddington assumes the best of him, he discovers the best in himself. I think there's something nice about that. My thing, Nicholas, is I just don't. I'm not a big lover of these Christmas advert things. No, 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 no. Have you I seen the, really new, get the it. new
1: one, the John Lewis one?
0: Yes, I saw that last night. Judas showed it to me. Didn't get it. I, the thing is, I did get it, and I prefer it to some of their other ones because it's just blatant product selling. They've obviously written this book and created the toys, and now they've made an advert so that you'll go buy it. I just don't... I don't know, but I didn't get the message of the advert. I didn't understand it. Is he is afraid of the monster? Is yeah, he loving he is. the monster? He's afraid of the monster, and so it's a perfect present to help him deal with it. But then, no, but... It's a sort of weird-school look, isn't it? No, no, but he doesn't like it because the monster's keeping him awake, isn't it? The monster's keeping him awake, even though it's a fun monster. It's still not a monster that he really wants in. So it, the monster, really.
1: like, kills himself by giving a light? Does the monster give
0: a light? I thought that was the whole point, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to tell I thought it was just his mum being very <laughs> No, insightful. I think
1: the whole point, he looks at his mum and she's like, I don't know, and it's wrapped really badly. So I'm assuming the monster... Did
0: uh, it? Hmm, I don't really know. Doesn't make sense listeners. to me.
1: I've never liked the. John This is the adverts. thing. No,
0: I like Christmas ads that are honest about what they are. This is my whole sort of. This is my general approach to marketing strategy. Full stop. Let's just be honest. We want to sell someone's stuff. If you've got a good product, then talk about it, and maybe they'll buy it. That's what I like. And so my. Be- you want the silit
1: bang of uh, well,
0: adverts, a little bit, yeah. And so my last year, my favorite Christmas ad was the Very Christmas ad. I don't even know who Very are, but their whole advert was just lots of snow and red boxes opening up with stuff in them. Less of this <laughs> like narrative. Where's that? come from you're uh, like the
1: alan sugar of christmas adverts do you think so i don't get it so it's rubbish you're fired
0: i guarantee there's going to be a tipping point and people are going to get annoyed about it in the same way that there's been too many anthropomorphized animals all yeah
1: the i feel like i feel like slowly you're seeing the people's smiles gently sort of die on their faces as so, they oh watch. here's
0: another advert yeah. yeah
1: but i think particularly about the john lewis advert i think they're like oh john lewis advert and then they're like oh it's not very good it's a bit weird
0: yeah, uh, well there you are, and uh, I think people started thinking about the weird one where there's a man and a boy looking at each other through telescopes, wasn't it? A man on the, the moon. A man or on the something? moon. It was a
1: man, an old man looking into a little girl's bedroom.
0: Exactly, and people were like, "What's this, John Lewis? <laughs> what have you done here?" Yeah, <laughs> and they also got it slightly wrong with that penguin thing, which they also tried. to It's
1: still. all about the music, my friend. It's all about having a good cover of a well-loved Ellie song. Ellie Goulding
0: murdering a, a a good song by going. Ah! <laughs> We sound very bitter. Let's move yes, on. Yes, we do. What can I say? It's Christmas. Um, okay. Uh, and Stephen, to finish it off, I think, says plus one to Phil on Murder on the Orient Express. Love Thor Ragnarok, he says. Like the variety of style and tone across the Marvel Universe.
1: Wee, 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 wee. Plus one, plus one.
0: Well, you know, there we go. (laughs) I think I've come out
1: better than you this week.
0: Uh, You have, I think. But next week,
1: oh, the downloads are coming.
0: I think people are going to be on my side. They are uh, going
1: to destroy me.
0: We'll come back with some Paddington thoughts next week. I have had a few in already, Phil, but I'm holding them off deliberately until next week. Get your thoughts in, listeners. Go see it if you haven't, and let us know. SuperBellyBros at gmail.com, at SuperBellyBros on Twitter.
1: Give us your plus ones, your minus ones. Thanks. That's right.
0: Yes, thank you, everyone, for being in touch. Woo, there we go, listeners. Another late finish for us, Phil.
1: Yeah, it's a very late finish. It's
0: all different now. We're doing it on Wednesdays and things. Feels like there's a lot to change this year. Changes. feels a, year lot, a
1: lot like retro recordings, though. Do you not think?
0: A little bit. Yeah, I quite like that. It's kind of nice. Um, are we still going to change the name of the show?
1: I really, 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 really think we should become Movie Land with the Super Bailey Bros.
0: Movie Land with Lauren Phil.
1: I'm fine with that. I think Movie Land's a good I'm
0: afraid if anything's going, it's that. I think I've been clear on that one, haven't I?
1: I think. Well, I think just to appease fans of the Super Bailey Bros moniker, I thought we'd include it there. But I think generally, Movie Land is a good compromise between fun and a bit silly, and something you could pronounce on the radio.
0: Keep your thoughts coming in, listeners. But uh, eventually,
1: we're just gonna have to make the decision, man. We're gonna rip that
0: bandage off. I know. uh, I nearly stopped thinking about it, but I am thinking about it still. I know. There we are, listeners. Get your thoughts in on Paddington. 2 and Only the Brave if you go and see them. Let us know your thoughts on Paper Towns and A Legend of 1900 and your thoughts on Star Wars as well. We want to hear all this stuff from you. You know the email address and Twitter accounts. Uh, if you got to this point in the episode, you definitely do.
1: Genuinely, those emails really make the show worthwhile for us. We love yeah. hearing your correspondence and also it also often provides really interesting chat. So if you've got a thought and you've been thinking about emailing in, do email in. We'd love to hear from you. We've we emailed in before. Yeah. Get in touch.
0: Yes, definitely. And we like actually like being taking down a peg or two even if it might seem like we don't <laughs> we'll fight you tooth and nail but that's it's all deal, part of the fun it? that's the deal that's what that's Give where as good as you get opinions get sharpened isn't it it's in the grand world of film okay oh. next week good time i'm going to see the robert pattinson film that took Cannes film festival by storm and film stars don't die in liverpool the new jamie bell film with uh, what's a face out of the american president also annette benning yes annette benning thank you and also justice league your well, hot prediction right now is. Well, the, whether it's going to be any good or not. Yep. Uh, I am hopeful. That's all I'll say. I'm watching it on Wednesday night. So, you know, you can hear my thoughts tonight on BBC Radio Oxford on Thursday at 20 past six. You might want to hold fire until you've heard the podcast, but, you know, why not tune in? There you go. Check it out. Have a great week, listeners. We'll speak to you again soon. That's half for now. Bye. Oh, by the way, Phil, we need to do theme episodes. I was thinking about that again. We said we were going to.
1: I know, but then you've got this new gig and you're like all on the hot topic of the movie thing. But we can still do it. Be fun yeah?
0: yeah 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 let's let's pick a new one and, and do it soon well you tell me the theme well, oh I, I don't want to do it right now listeners tell us the theme yeah listeners do if there's a, if you've got a specific theme you'd like us to cover let's do that that'd be fun
1: ladies bye. in film something like that sounds good man well done
0: bye phil i've got a bonus for you hit me with your bonus this time of the season more than any other because it becomes a little bit busier in shops and on the street i end up engaging in politeness chicken
1: as a game. Oh, you mean the uh, walking towards somebody and
0: then you go, oh, 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 oh Well, there's a oh, bit of that, but in particular, it's a bit more passive-aggressive than that. This so, <laughs> <Sorry, okay. laughs> happened to me a few times, uh, quite recently as well, but you know, for example, if you're walking out of boots, which is where it happened to me a year ago or something, and there's a couple of people and they're blocking off an aisle, so you can't walk through it without asking them to move. Oh, excuse mm. me, oh, sorry, I'm going go through. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, yeah. Or what you could do is duck back out of the aisle and walk down the next one alongside it but it's not you know big shelves so when you walk down the other aisle they'll see they'll still see you mm-hmm. uh and then what they said when you are walking down the other aisle they said you could have just said excuse me is that yeah. what they said to you today i've had that have you never had that before no. Yeah, this happens to be very recently as well. Well, they're
1: annoyed that you weren't yeah. more invasive.
0: Politeness chicken, Phil. That's exactly what I mean. It's like, what, what's more polite in that situation? And who has broken the politeness rule there? Is it me or is it them? Because was it more polite for me to say, oh, sorry, excuse me, can I come through? Or is it more polite for me not to say anything at all and find an alternative route and not bother them? Obviously, they felt I lost the game of chicken. That's very weird. That's. I think you just. You know, you're. You think you're quite
1: uh, fortunate when it comes to freebies and things. People I'm very seem to like you. Man. I think also you must be on the other end of things where people who don't speak to you are just a bit rude. Do you think so? Sometimes Has that never yeah. happened to you. That one. I don't think I've ever had anyone. Uh, I've had somebody on a train once get really cross because I was standing close to his wife like that sounds like I've suddenly realised how that sounds that's not a good thing no, but we we're right. all trying to get off the train and he was like we're all trying to get off the train mate is what he said to me and literally I'd just been standing there well still yeah oh. standing still ready to get off the train he's like we're all trying to get off the train mate and I was like yeah.
0: so there's that, a bit of politeness chicken because he's dared you he's like you're being impolite but is he being impolite Who yes knows? he is yeah, yes politeness he is chicken. which one's breaking first <laughs> Uh, Which like, egg is hatching? There's something really strange going on. And I think it particularly happens in this time of year, especially in the UK, because we're all just terrible at this kind of thing. And like, there'll be people who feel like, well, he should have offered this or done that. But at the same time, you might have been trying to overthink it. Do you know what I mean? mm Like for example, sometimes this maybe this one just happens in my head. If I'm at a coffee shop, I like to occasionally go the extra mile. And if I finish with my uh, plates or whatever else it is, even if there's no place where you put dirty take that back. Take it up to you know the counter and put it on the side somewhere out of the way. And some of the looks I get are either really thanks so much. Other looks are like, all right, mate, (laughs) let let us do our job. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I just think I'm curious to know whether anyone else has this internal battle it's a difficult life isn't it have you ever
1: felt definitely on the wrong side of the politeness in what kind of way well I've have you ever this is is what I thought it's a very odd situation to be in Have you ever ripped the receipt off for the cashier?
0: Yeah, many times, and then I get it wrong and get the
1: paper jams. It's so (laughs) awkward, and then I've I've given it back before. I said, oh, sorry, I'm doing your job. It's an automatic thing, and I feel like I've broken the the polite little repertoire we're meant to have of, oh, thank you, here's your receipt. I've just taken it
0: from them. You've just got to tell us, when does the facade of politeness break down for you, and have you been on the right or the wrong side of it? That's what I want to know.
1: Bonus. Yep, I'm going to be reviewing... Let me start that again
0: and he was doing it on murder no yes